I'm really excited to be here. Like I was saying, I've had a very busy um, past couple of weeks leading up to this, and I left my house after like this really busy weekend and uh, ended up getting on a plane and landing here at midnight, Matt picking me up at the airport, and it was like a whole other world. Just stepping out of California and into Bozeman, I was like, where am I again? And I'm, I'm refreshed, but I've had the last couple of days have been awesome being able to just study this passage, and uh, it's actually been really... Uh, applicable in my life. I've had the chance to speak a couple of times this summer, and uh, it was a very different setting than this is. And so, but this passage actually, there's, <laughs> it was really good for me to hear. So I, I hope, actually, I'm confident that this is a really good message. But I'm not confident that I will do a good job relaying the message <laughs> in in the word to you guys. But I hope that um, that I do. So. Uh, if you guys want to turn with me, we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 3. Um, but as we begin, uh, I want to just step back a little into what Derek taught on last week in chapter 2. Uh, I'm not going to go too deep because he did an excellent job. I got to watch that video. He did an excellent job um, teaching out of that passage. But just to remind you, this, this passage really plays into the passage that we're going to uh, be studying today. So just as a reminder... Um, Paul, thus far in uh, chapter 2, 6 through uh, the end there, 16, has been, um, he's been talking about how the wisdom of God is revealed uh, by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, and how uh, the, Word of God, that, the Word of God is um, specifically wisdom for believers. And so the Spirit of God can reveal that because who can know um, a person except for the spirit of that person, right? But God has placed the spirit in in believers so that we can understand him. Um, otherwise, we can't. And so kind of a big picture, if, you, if you're thinking about that, there's two categories of people that Paul has been talking about so far. He's been talking about uh, spiritual people, which would be believers, um, and then the natural man, as Paul puts it, which is unbelievers, anyone who's not saved uh, and don't have the spirit of God. Those are the two categories that he's been driving home. Um, it's been this contrast, this dichotomy of, <clears throat> excuse me, this dichotomy of who can understand the things of God and who can't. And the bottom line is, it's if you have the Spirit, you can, because the Spirit knows God and the Spirit's in you. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, you cannot. It will be folly to you, right? Um, so that is uh, kind of the two categories that he's been, been talking about thus far. And so I'm going to read um, our verses for today, which is uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll get right into it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready for it, <clears throat> for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So, uh, the, the very first verse here, if you uh, just make some observations of the text, which is what I want to do with you today, uh, it seems like a shift in what Paul is talking about. Um, <clears throat> it seems as though the Corinthians, who he's speaking to, don't really fall fully into either of the two categories that he just made that dichotomy. He just said, these are the two types of people in the world, and I would say that extends to the whole world. There's two types of people. There's spiritual, and there's the natural man. Uh, and he just split that up. 
pretty uh, distinctly. And then in verse 3, it seems like the Corinthians aren't in either of those. <laughs> so what are you doing here, Paul? Um, so I want to just start by observing that he calls them brothers, and he says that they are in Christ. And throughout the whole book, you can see that he, he does consider them uh, fellow brethren in Christ. Okay, they... Uh, he calls him in verse 10, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our, or of chapter 1, I'm sorry. I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. Um, in the very beginning, chapter 1, he says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So he's addressing people who he is assuming are of that category, right, who are spiritual. Um, so in the first verse of chapter 3, but I brothers, and then he calls them infants in Christ, but then if you read the rest of that sentence, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So, okay, they're spiritual people, but he's addressing them as if they're fleshly. So how does that really work? If they're, they're spiritual, it seems like maybe they're not really wholeheartedly into either category. So where are they? So it seems that there's three categories, right? And this begins to tread into some deep water, which... We're not going to go exhaustively through, but there's this idea or this debate, I guess, in Christendom, that uh, the lordship debate. Uh, And I I think that we need to uh, determine where the Corinthians are in order to understand the rest of this text. And so briefly, I just want to try to dig into this. Um, There's an illustration that's pretty common. It's kind of this three circles illustration. Um, I was debating... If I should draw it up on the board. I'm a really good artist, but people can never tell what I'm drawing. So I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I actually, I am going to do that. Okay, it'll help, I think. This, that's not going to work, so sorry. Okay, so there's three circles, okay, in this illustration. And just to clarify, this illustration is not bad, but I'm going to correct it because I think that there's a way to make it more biblical. But this illustration is... Uh, so this here, that's a throne, just so you know. This is throwing off them, okay? This circle is our, our life, so the life of a person, any given person. In this first circle, that's, this is me, Weston, okay? And I'm on the throne here, at least I think I am, and Jesus is outside of my life, right? This is pre-salvation. I'm, Christ is not in my life at all. Uh, and then over here, Jesus is on the throne, Weston's at the foot, and... Let's see, I'm going to add all these little dots that are in perfect order around. Those are just things in your life that are in order, okay? So this is pre-salvation. This is when Christ is on the throne and ruling and all of your things are falling into order. But this middle section uh, would be when Weston's still on the throne, but Jesus is in the life, okay? And there's these little dots all kind of scattered. Everything's out of order because Weston's Lord of this life, okay? And here... Things are still out of order, but Jesus isn't in the life at all. So this is unsaved. This, in this uh, illustration, this is saved, but Jesus isn't, hasn't been made Lord of your life. I mean, this is Jesus is Lord. Everything's in order. Weston's submissive, which is a good place to be. Um, now, I would argue that this is not a real place. This doesn't exist, okay? Um, so there's, a, there's an illustration by... Uh, John Piper, I can't take credit for this, that was really helpful in thinking. So I, I'm going to, he didn't draw it, I couldn't see him drawing it, so I don't know if I could really do this. Uh, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so just keep that in mind, right? These are the three circles. Weston's Lord, Jesus isn't in the life. 
Wesson's Lord, but Jesus is in the life, I'm saved, and Jesus is Lord, the way it's supposed to be. Okay, so keep those three in mind. This works. Okay. Now, in this other illustration, I would draw two circles. I could have left this one up because it's the same. This is Weston, Jesus is in the life, and I'm actually going to add Holy Spirit down there. Okay? And this is the same thing. Everything's out of order. Weston's Lord. Now, think of this one, though, it's, it's less of just a circle in my life, and think of it as like a city. Okay, this is a, like an ancient city with castle walls. This is a castle wall that surrounds the majority of the city, and this is the citadel where the Lord sits, right? And Weston is a usurper to that throne, but he's, he's there, right? And Jesus is out here with the Holy Spirit, and he has not taken it back, even though it rightfully belongs to him. Now, this circle is the next step, okay? And it is going to look like, so I'm going to wait on that. So the next circle, imagine that setting, okay, if you guys can see this. Imagine this setting where Weston's wrongfully on the throne, and Jesus is outside, and he hasn't done anything. Now, from that point, when, when a person becomes saved, so when I was saved, I believe that God, God said, Jesus, take it. That's it. Jesus, take it. And so Jesus is over here, and this is Piper. I thought it was hilarious. So Jesus is over here, okay, and he is on what is the tank, that is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus is just sitting on the back, okay? And now when, when God the Father says, take it, take that life, right, take that city, the tank rolls through the front gates, blows it to smithereens, everybody scatters, right? The guards are gone, okay? And then he drives through straight to the citadel. Guards are trying, everybody's trying to stop it, right? Nothing's working because it's an ancient city. He just blows through it, goes in there, climbs up the citadel. The Holy Spirit comes up. Jesus walks in, kills Weston. Weston falls on the floor. The Holy Spirit steps his foot on my throat, and the Holy Spirit says, Jesus, take that throne. And Jesus takes the throne. And that's that. Jesus is Lord now. He has now regained his rightful position as Lord. Okay, but if you think of that city, so that's that, right? Jesus is Lord. And the Holy Spirit's there, a tank in the citadel somehow. <laughs> but if you think of, of this situation, if, if that were to be a, a real situation where uh, there was, right, I'm a, I'm a rebel, and I have this rebel squad that's helping me take this little citadel, right? So it might take days for the whole kingdom to hear the news that Jesus is Lord, okay? And so in that, this right away, all these things don't necessarily get put in perfect order. It's not like it just happens, Jesus is there, uses superpowers, everything's perfect. That's not necessarily how it works. Actually, it doesn't work that way almost ever. What happens is that Jesus gets there, and Jesus is the Lord, and he killed Weston, and Weston's on the ground, dead, but praise be to God, he rose me again to serve him, to be a son in this kingdom, right? And so now I'm alive, and I'm, I'm here at the foot, and what could I possibly do except for the fact that he just brought me back to life to give me good life, right? Rather than thinking I was here, just everything's going to pot. He gave me new life, so all that I can do is to go and try and bring all of the rebels who are just digging their heels and resisting this new Lord, that I'm going to try and bring them back into line. And so I think there's two circles, but this circle has about... 365 different circles each year. So every day, this changes a little bit. 
So this dot and this dot, eventually they get into the right order and they start organizing. But there's still stuff in my life, right? There's still my flesh. There's still the world. Things battling against me in my flesh that are trying to keep from submitting to him. But my goal, my heart, the new heart, the spirit of God that's in me, is causing me to want to bring these things into line. And so, Lord willing, every day this gets erased and just a little better, right? The spirit is helping me. Christ is doing this and enabling me to make it a little better. And every day it's continuing. It's called progressive sanctification, becoming more like Christ, like Jesus is Lord, which he is in my life, okay? So those are kind of two illustrations. Whoever's watching this video got none of that <laughs> in the audio. Okay. Um, where am I? I'm two pages down. Okay. Um, so that is with regard to your salvation and then your sanctification, right? Gradually being, being sanctified. Um, and now this, in regard to spirituality, which is what Paul is talking about, um, I think that can pretty fairly be equated to spiritual maturity. So when you hear me use spirituality or when Paul calls them spiritual people, uh, I think he is referring to a, a more mature person. Right before, at the end of chapter 2, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. And I think Paul is referring to himself there and, and others, but not just to the generic every believer, right, has necessarily the mind of Christ and is mature in that. Um, everyone does have the spirit, which is enabling us to understand, but we're not all mature. <laughs> in verse 6 of chapter 2, he says, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. But then in here in verse 3, he says, I could not address you as spiritually, spiritual people. Right? You're not necessarily mature just because you have the spirit. Um, it's positionally, you are spiritual because the spirit is in you. So you have been called, you have been justified, and once you are, the basis of your salvation is in Jesus's righteousness. So there's nothing you can do to change that. Jesus is the one who fulfills all things that we need to be in order to be saved, and he does that for us. He, he is that, he's the only one who is that, and he's doing that on our behalf. And so that's settled, and you are positionally spiritual because he has given you the spirit, and that you will not be taken back, right? If anyone is in Christ, he is the Spirit. And if he does not have the Spirit, he's not in Christ. Romans, Romans tells us that. Um, but practically, it's possible to be very unspiritual or immature, even while having the Spirit. It's possible to still be immature. Um, and that seems to be the case uh, with the Corinthians. And just to... I think there could be some pushback on that, but to think about it, it's very possible for you to be extremely immature and still be a genuine believer. Think about a brand new believer. You would not expect them to be mature. <laughs> you would not expect them to be as mature as the Apostle Paul or as Brian Hughes or as any believer who's been uh, following the Lord longer. You couldn't possibly expect that, and that's fine. That's, that's just part of the, prog the process, right? Mm. But so they're... Their maturity is at different levels, but their standing before God and their position is the same. The brand new believer who just got saved in prison and the Apostle Paul. Positionally, the same. Practically, not the same maturity. Spirituality, as Paul will call it here. <clears throat> so he says that I could not address you as spiritual people. So it would seem that these people are here, but 
things aren't still all in order. They're not totally mature yet, right? They are believers, and Paul believes that they are believers, but they're not mature. So he says, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. So what is milk and solid food? A lot of you, I'm sure, have heard this passage and probably heard it taught on. But I think that milk gets a bad rap, in, uh, especially in settings like this. It, <clears throat> at a church like this that is much more focused on uh, doctrinal understanding of the things of God, which is great. But at a church like this, I think that milk, because it's used in a negative light here, I think it gets a bad rap. <laughs> like it's a bad thing if you, are, uh, if you need milk. It's a bad thing. And I don't think that that is true. I don't think that it's invaluable or that it's wrong. Uh, I think that it is an awesome thing, in fact, that is designed by God to serve a very specific function uh, in a believer's life. It is foundational, I think, in, in all of our lives uh, and in every believer's life. What I think the milk is, is, uh, is a teaching, so Paul's right, teaching them, feeding them milk, that is designed by God to get an unbeliever started in humility and in hope. Okay, And humility being that they recognize your sinfulness. As an unbeliever, it is foolishness to think that some God would have to come out of the sky and would have to die for me because I'm not a good enough person, so he'd have to do that. That is foolishness to an unbeliever. You can't, like, I've never killed anybody. I'm not really doing anything really awful. I'm not hurting anybody. So to think that somebody would have to come and die for me is foolishness. And you cannot understand that if you don't have the Spirit. That's just a fact. So humility is when the milk helps to bring that humility of recognizing your sinfulness. Um, and then hope, the hope of salvation, right? The cross and the, the story um, of what Christ has done for us in this, this hope of a new ability to live righteously, to change. Um, those, are, uh, those are things that this milk is teaching. So foundationally, the milk is the message of the gospel in a simple and elementary yet glorious and beautiful way. That is what milk is. So it's a good thing, a really good thing. We were all saved with milk. If you think about a baby, like a real baby, they, they need milk. How many of you would say that you should not give a newborn this mother's milk? None of you? Hey, you can all be parents someday. You passed. <laughs> no one would say that. It, that's good because babies need milk. You can't give a baby just water and juice and steak and expect it to survive. <laughs> They're not ready for that, right? They're, they need milk, and they need their mother's milk because it's what God has designed for them. And in the same way, the milk that Paul is talking about here is designed for baby believers. So then what is solid food? And I believe that solid food is the more intricate um, understanding of the things of God. Doctrine is the word that we would use to kind of describe that. But understanding things that are more difficult and are uh, deeper in this vast God that we serve, right? Be moving beyond the elementary and into a more, uh, more depth, I guess is the best way to say that. Um, <clears throat> for example, I, I think Romans 9, well, maybe 9, 10, and 11 are good examples of that because 
Predestination is something that's very hard to understand. It's very difficult. But that is something that is part of God's nature. And so as we dig into that, we're studying the things of God, right? Which is just awesome. These are deep and beautiful, but you can't understand those if you're not mature. <laughs> if you are still in the milk stage, you're not going to understand the things that are in the solid food stage. Um, but as we mature, we, we desire solid food more and more, right? I mean, you can see that in babies. As, you, uh, as a baby matures, they will eventually want more and more. They want applesauce and baby food and then maybe Cheerios. And they'll just move up and gradually want more and more solid food until they can enjoy steak and eggs like the rest of us. And the result of feeding on more solid food, and I think this would be the same with milk, but especially as you get deeper and deeper, is deeper levels of sanctification, of being conformed into the image of Christ. Um, as you know the God that is infinite and perfect and holy, right, set apart infinitely, you, as you start to understand and know him more, you will want to be more like him and you will be able to because you'll know more about God. I was thinking about this um, when I was hiking with Matt just the other night, there's, uh, or the other day, and also I was hiking last week and it was even more relevant, but you start hiking, you've probably all been here, you start hiking to the summit, right, and you, you're going, you're like, okay, I'm probably like three quarters of the way I'm getting there, and finally you get to the summit and you're like, get up there, and it's a false summit, there's another one beyond it, so you're like, that wasn't actually where I was going, there's more to that. And then you get there, and maybe you've had this experience where you get there to the next one, and then you're still not there. And then your legs are starting to shake, and you're like, oh my gosh, how many summits are there? But you get there, and it, it just keeps going, right? And eventually, you'll get to the, to the top. But what I would submit to you is that when you are being sanctified, and the more that you come to know God, the more you realize that what you knew of God is not the fullest extent of who God is. So that summit is a false summit, because there's always more. There's always deeper and so as we are maturing, if we stay in the milk stage of just the gospel, which is awesome and foundational, but if we stay there, that's all you're going to have of God. If you move into deeper and deeper things, you'll start to hit these, these summits and see greater and more things. You'll get to a point and say, wow, I thought I was getting close, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not. It's an infinitely large mountain of who God is. Uh, part of that is a growing hatred of sin and, and a desire to kill sin and to deny the flesh. Um, I think that is a really big point that could be a whole sermon spent on just that, but uh, I just I think that it needs to be mentioned here because if the more that we are living in sin or um, allowing ourselves to be controlled by that or uh, succumb to that, uh, the less we will be able to understand and know God and be like him. Especially presumptuous sins and willful sins, things that you know it's a sin when you do it. Um, but even things just like sinful habits or character traits, things like that that you might not understand. But you, as you get there, you realize, wow, Jesus wouldn't do this, right? And so as you start to know God more, you realize that I can say that in my own life. I've gotten to a point where you feel like, okay, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't done any of these sins that were controlling my life. And so you think, man, now that I've got there, I must be there. And then you get there and realize Christ is, he is that plus 
like infinitely more. And so I have so many more steps to take. And you can't see those steps beyond, just like the summit, you can't see those until you've gotten there. And so actively battling and striving to put down sin is critical. I, I think if you're not, you won't, you'll be taking one step forward and two steps back going up that mountain. And sin is absolutely opposed to God. You, you can't be living in it and expect to know God. Um, okay, so we look back in the text and try and see what was the reason for the Corinthians not being ready for solid food. Um, and I think that there's a few things. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and read a little further. Uh, verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So I think that pride and selfishness and ego are the things that, are, uh, that Paul is specifically addressing here. And so we'll look at that, and I think that applies in a broader uh, category for each of us. But uh, specifically here, he's talking to them, and he had, uh, he'd already brought that up, pride, in, uh, in chapter 1. Uh, I guess specifically 29 uh, through 31, he says, uh, actually, yeah, okay, that would be good. I might have to start in 28. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because, you are in him, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So right there, there's clearly something that is spurring Paul to write to these people about the fact that you can't boast. If you're going to boast, you're boasting in the fact that Jesus did it, and not you. And then even earlier, he's already talked about the fact that uh, these people are saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Jesus, right? There's that one guy who throws that in there. Um, but I think that... Uh, Primarily, it comes down to the fact that they were proud of where they were. They were proud of where they started. Um, they, they were caught up in where they started. That's why they're saying, I follow Paul, and I follow Peter. I, I wasn't really going to say this, but I was just reading through this passage where it says, uh, in chapter 1, verse 14, uh, just after saying, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Uh, sarcastically, and then he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. I think since you can't really, there's no erasers when he's writing this, I think he realized, like, okay, I did baptize these two guys, and then he puts in parentheses, I did also baptize the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't know if I baptized anybody else, but <laughs> I think what he, <laughs> I think that's what happened, I, that's gotta be what happened, <laughs> but <laughs> he so he writes this, right, and he says, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you because clearly that's causing division among you. Clearly, whoever was baptized into Paul has a little more pride than somebody who was baptized by just Joe Snow on the corner, you know? And, I mean, okay, I think about this, and I understand the Corinthians a little bit because if I was baptized by John Piper, 
or John MacArthur specifically, I think you would all probably know, if I'm being honest, <laughs> right? I think somehow I would let that come up in conversation so you know that John Piper baptized me. Like, it would be kind of cool to say. But these people, they were so caught up in the fact that, listen, Paul came to us, and he is writing this letter to us, and I was baptized by Paul, the apostle, the one who's healing people with a handkerchief, right? I was baptized by that guy, and so I'm pretty good. I think I'm better than this guy who was baptized by our local pastor, <laughs> right? And they were letting that settle. They were settling with that, right? That's where they started. They started good. Paul commends them in the beginning of the chapter, um, and every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, so you were not lacking in any gift. Uh, he's, con he's showing like you started good, but you're stopping there. You're settling. That's, you're okay with staying right there. And that's not, not okay. <laughs> I don't think Paul condones that at all. In fact, I think this passage is a challenge to that concept. In this, this next section, I think it's the next uh, title or subtitle on the notes is Paul seems disappointed in the Corinthians. I think you can sense a little bit of disappointment if you, if you look back at this whole passage and just listen for the tenses, right, the present tense and the past tense. He says, But I, brothers, I could not address you, past tense, as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. That's not, not that bad. Babies need milk. And even now... You are not ready, for you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not now of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and I follow Paul, are you not being presently merely human? I think that is coming from Paul's heart, and he is disappointed in this. He's, he knows these people, and he trusts that they have the Spirit of God, they're in Christ. But he gets these reports, it's like, man... Seriously? I fed you with milk because you weren't ready for it. But now, after all this time, you're still needing milk? Are you not maturing at all? Is You're just staying there? I feel, like, I feel like he's disappointed a little bit. And rightfully so, because you're not supposed to stay there. You're not supposed to settle. Yeah, I just can I can hear Paul saying like you're you're letting things hinder you. You're letting your own ego about who you were baptized by or where you started or what kind of study bible you use. You're letting those things stop you from growing because you're just settling. It's the bottom line. It's like, man, really? Are you not you don't want to go deeper? You have the spirit of the living almighty God in you and you don't want to go deeper? Man, I can imagine being being Paul and just being like, wow, I feel like I feel like that should be something if the living God is in you, you would have to be changed. I can see that being disappointing. <clears throat> yeah, he's just saying go deeper, <laughs> guys. There's there's more than just having the title or knowing the right people and and I say this to you, as I think Paul was trying to say to them, there's more to it than just calling yourself a Christian and knowing the right people, knowing the right 
Christianese. There's more to being a Christian. Go deeper. So much more. There's solid food as you guys are just sipping on milk. There's solid food that is available and it is so good. But you got to get there. <laughs> if, you're, if you're not growing, I think you're moving backwards, but you're definitely never going to get to the false summit to see that there's more beyond that. And God is the only one who can satisfy. So if you're staying where you are, you're not going to be satisfied. Now, as we kind of end tonight's passage, and I just want to look at verses 3 and 4. Uh, and this is a scary thought, <laughs> a little bit to me. He says, <clears throat> in, in verse, I guess we'll start in the second half of verse 2, And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? I'll stop there. Uh, he says, you're believers, and you have the Spirit of God. At least Paul, I think, has to believe that. He's going to assume that's the case. You have the Spirit of God, but you're acting just like your natural man. You're acting just like you did before. So you're believers, but you're acting like you're not believers. He's calling them out a little bit, right? So you can't say that you're, you have the Spirit of God and still not be any different than those who don't have the Spirit of God. There's got to be a distinction. <laughs> you have the Spirit of God and you're seriously acting like an unsaved person. That's hard to believe, really, if you really think about that. It's like, possible? Hard to believe. But this is where it gets scary. At the end of verse 4, I'll just read 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulos, are you not being merely human? So he just got done saying, you're acting like a natural man. And then at the end of verse 4, he says, are you not being Merely, man? I, I don't think he's necessarily challenging that or assuming that they're not, but he's asking the question, do you have the Spirit of God? Because if you're not growing, that question has to be posed to you, right? Do you actually have it? And he hopes and he believes that they do, but if your life's not changing, then maybe it's not legit. <laughs> maybe it's not legit. That... The milk is kind of an evangelistic message, right? It's meant for unbelievers. And he is saying, I have to give this milk to you even now. So this message of repentance, repent and believe, it's for unbelievers to get them started in humility and hope, right? And it's a message of repentance. Now, if you're continuing in sin, then you need milk, you need to be reminded that you need to repent, that you need the gospel, and you need grace. And it is so good, and I hope that you have experienced that, but it is so good to be at a point where you realize, I am nothing, but Christ has saved me. That is so good. Beautiful. Foundational. But that's what it is. It's foundational, and it's meant as you come to know the Lord to be built upon that truth and to now know God in deeper ways. So you can't just stay with the milk. And if you, if you are, and, and this is pride, I think, I think all of us can say that we have some issue with pride. But Paul is saying in this, you guys, are, you guys are prideful, and now I'm questioning, if this is still a continual sin and you're not growing because of this, you need milk. 
you need an evangelistic message, do you have the Spirit of God? Ask yourself that. I think that's what Paul's saying. It's a hard, it would be a hard question, I think, to hear if you were the Corinthians. And I think for, for us, it's challenging. Just, yeah, First Peter uh, chapter 1 just talks about confirming your calling and election, right? If, you, if you're not showing this fruit, then uh, are, you, are you really saved? You're, you're foolish. But confirm your calling and election by practicing these things. You can read that passage. I'm not going to go there tonight. So the main point uh, here is the categories that we discussed in the beginning, right? Those two. So there's the, the saved, I guess unsaved on this side, and the saved. Jesus is Lord, or Jesus is not in your life. One or the other. And so the Corinthians, I believe, we can assume at least, that they were in the saved category. Paul is hoping that's true and presuming upon that. But they were not maturing as someone who has the Lord is expected to. And so Paul has to question it, and he has to challenge them. Obviously, and I, I think that God used Paul to challenge us right now in the same way. They weren't maturing as they were expected to because they were allowing sin and pride and their ego to stop them and to slow them down. Being uh, an immature believer is fine. I, I want you to hear me, right? You are justified when you know Christ. Hear that. I think that's my favorite doctrine in all the Bible, the doctrine of justification. You are justified when you know Christ. So being an, an immature believer is fine, but staying there, being satisfied there, is not fine. It's a, it's a bad sign, <laughs> if nothing else. If you're satisfied with milk, if you're satisfied being immature, then the Spirit of God is not working in your heart necessarily. It's not even possible if God's Spirit's in you. I, I, there's this analogy that Paul Washer uses, and uh, I think I, I'm just going to use it. Okay, so yeah, imagine me, uh, if I were to show up like 45 minutes late to tonight to speak. Uh, you guys are playing some worship songs. Matt's like, Weston's not here. Could you play some more songs? And so you play a little more. Eventually Matt's like, okay, I'll just try and come up with something. And he just gives a little something, Devo, and then it's just kind of a fellowship night. And then to find that show up 45 minutes late, and I come in the door, and Matt's like, what the heck, bro? Where were you? <laughs> Do you not care about this? Is this not, like, significant to you? You flew from California to get here, and you were late. Like, what? Do you not care about this at all? And I said, so just imagine this. I said, no, listen, I have, I'm really sorry. I have a really good excuse, though. I was driving here, and I got a flat tire. And, but I still, I was, like, on time. I was doing well. I got a flat tire. And so I started changing it, and I dropped a lug nut, and it kind of rolled out into the street. And just being a dummy, I reached out, and I grabbed it. And as I turned, there was a Mack truck driving 70 miles an hour, four feet in front of my face, and it pile-drived me. And so that's why I was late. I'm sorry about that. I don't think any of you would believe me, would you? None of you. Would you be like, oh, okay, cool. That makes sense. Yeah, no problem. I think all of you would say, Either you're crazy or you're lying, right? One of the two things. Because you would not be standing here in the same form, unchanged, 
if you experienced a 70 mile an hour Mack truck <laughs> plowing you on the side of the road, right? It's not possible. So the challenge there is how can you know that that is such a ridiculous statement that you wouldn't be changed by a Mack truck and yet you can say that you have experienced the living God and not been changed. Shouldn't that be even more ridiculous? How much more powerful is God than a Mack truck, right? <laughs> so much more, infinitely more. And so if you are living your life and not desiring to know God more and to love him and to be more like Christ, then you have to really, I would challenge that person and say, have you experienced God, the living God, truly? I'll just be honest with you. It was, there was a time not that long ago, relatively, in my life where I was challenged by that, that exact passage, actually, or that uh, analogy, and just struggling, just in a low spot in my life, right? And like, man, I'm still, I'm not where I think I should be at this point in my life. I've been a believer a long time. I'm not where I should be. I'm still struggling with sin and pride and it just keeps coming up. And how many times do I repent and then go right back to my sin? How many times can I do that and still call myself a believer? Is <laughs> It wasn't very long ago that I was at that point just wondering, how <laughs> am I really a believer? And praise God, he comforts. And, and he, I'm sure that he has me. <laughs> but it was by the grace of God, but all that being said, though he assures us, I just, I think this is a challenge to everybody, and specifically people maybe who are nominal Christians, that um, being a Christian is no joke. There's consequences, <laughs> not bad consequences, but real consequences. Count the cost, Jesus says that. You got to count the cost. There's a lot that changes. God changes the people that he is Lord over and that's that. So just in concluding, um, there's a couple of questions at the bottom there. The first one, I think, is what category are you in? Right? There's, there's two categories. There's natural man and there's spiritual man. And so if you're in the natural man, then you need to know that you need Jesus. You need the Lord because we're helpless without him. So you need that. You're unable to understand the things of God for their folly to you. So he says, or you're a spiritual man. You have Christ, you have the Spirit of God, and you are maturing. I think that is a necessary conclusion to having the Spirit of God and being in Christ and maturing. Not necessarily at a certain level of maturity, but you're growing. I think that's part of the Christian life. And so the next question, I think, uh, can go to maybe, yeah, I don't know. Who, somebody will need to hear this, and I, I think it's maybe someone who's uh, not as passionate for the Lord, So, which is probably some of us here. Uh, but are you maturing to receive solid food, or are you content with milk, is that question. So ask yourself that. Are you, are you really desiring to move beyond milk? Being content where you are is never a good sign. I said that. 
Um, Because there's always more to the infinite God. And and we need to be continuing to seek that. Um, And so, yeah, like I said, being a Christian is no joke. (laughs) Um, So that's a challenge. And then I guess a question for those who would consider themselves, um, hopefully rightly, I think there's a... I think most can say that, but um, a question for those who would call themselves solid food believers, right? Those who are desiring to know God. The, the question, I guess, as a challenge, and I've been challenged in the same way, is are, is your heartbeat to know God more? Is your heartbeat to have more and more food? <laughs> Do you want to know the deep things of God? Is that when you wake up, the, the thing that's on your mind, you desire that more than desiring to play a sport or watch a certain movie, hang out with a certain person. So all great things, fine things. But where's your desire at? And I would honestly say that everyone can be challenged in this. Certainly I can, but I would say I think the most mature Christian you know, and I think that they could be challenged in the same way. Do you want to feed on the wisdom of God because there is more? No one is there. The Apostle Paul was not there. He didn't arrive this side of eternity. Jesus did, but he's the only one, I think, that's ever walked. And so for, for all of us in this room, that's a challenge. Do you want to know God more? Is that the most important thing in your life? And if it's not, then seek the Lord about that because it should be, it needs to be. It's so good when it is. Every day we should be wanting that more and more. But that's all that I have. And so, uh, yeah, I'll just maybe close in prayer and we'll be done. Father God, I do just thank you for uh, your word. I thank you that you have, Lord, you have made it possible for us to know you and for us to, to have your spirit as something we were incapable of ever attaining, even understanding the most elementary principles of who you are, we were completely incapable of. And so we praise you for that. And God, I just ask for your spirit to work um, in lives tonight. Uh, for those maybe who, who don't know you at all, I just pray that you would command the Holy Spirit to take down the walls, and that you would come into their life, and that you would take the citadel, Lord, that you would be Lord in their life. And Lord, I just pray for every other level, maybe of maturity in Christianity that's here tonight, that you would cause us to want to know you more, Lord, that we would not be satisfied with where we are, because where we are is not where Christ is. And so until that point, death is a good stopping point. Father, until then, or when you return, help us to want to know you more and to live and breathe to know you more and to to be like your son. Father, I do just thank you so much again for your word and that you teach us. And pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.